excited about where I feel like the Lord took me in wrapping us up. And I would love for you to have it, if you do have your Bibles, I would love for you to have it open in front of you, because Lord knows I am not going to read all those names to you. (laughs) So um, when I was originally planning on talking on Romans 16, and if you had a chance to do the deeper reflection, you um, will notice I was thinking that I wanted to focus on the doxology that Paul prays over the Romans to kind of wrap his letter to them because I think it's beautiful. And I love the things that he talks about, about um, being strengthened according to the gospel and um, this kind of repetition of the idea of being um, bringing about the obedience of faith. So I was seeing all those themes, and if you got a chance to do the deeper reflection, I'm so glad because I really do think that that's beautiful. But when I went back a couple weeks ago to refresh my mind and start um, looking at Romans 16, I just could not get away from a completely different impression that I ended up having about how beautiful, how beautifully Paul ends this letter to the Romans, and I think it's just because of the conversations that we've had this year as we've slowly gone through Romans, the conversations that are happening on Sunday mornings as a family at Creekside. Um, So I just was so struck by the way that Paul seems to end his letter to the Romans with this beautiful demonstration of exactly what he has been talking to the church in Rome about throughout his whole letter. He is doing what he's asking them to do. He's like literally doing it right here in chapter 16 as he goes through and commends and thanks over 30 different people who are co-laboring with him to bring the message of the gospel. And I just think it's beautiful. I did spend... um, I can't, uh, I've gone back and forth. I want to read it to you, but I really don't want to say all those names, <laughs> the names of the churches. But here's the thing. Okay, so I did my research, and for those of you who geek out on people and history and places and all of that, I printed out two because I'm guessing there's not more than two of you in here. <laughs> but if there's more than two people who want it, you can go and photocopy it. But this thing is thick, and it took me a long time to get through. But the beauty in who these people are that Paul is thanking is incredible. You guys, they are all over the place. They are so diverse. There is at least 10 women that he mentions. So let's, first of all, take note of that, that Paul is co-laboring with Almost half of the people that he mentions here are women. And that's not even to mention, not even counting all the families that he lists in the numbers. There are Jews. There are Greeks. There are slaves. There are freed slaves. There are like Roman, kind of like high-end, probably pretty wealthy city slicker type people. All of these people that he names are so different and so diverse and vast in the ways that they are contributing to the mission of the gospel. And he makes sure to commend them and thank them and endorse their ministries and encourage 
the people in Rome to be led by them. That We cannot miss that. That is huge that he takes the time to do that. He does this in a lot of his letters, um, ends, but none as much as he does in Romans. There's like five that he lists and, you know, say hi to this person or whatever. He takes a long time to list out these people and to talk about how much he is thankful for them and endorses them. And I don't know if you noticed, but he gives no qualifications. There, I'm looking through here, and he's not going, so, you know, greet Prissa and Aquila, um, and let them lead you a little bit, but, you know, they're a little shady in their theology on this point and this point, so maybe don't listen to him here. And, you know, you should greet Apelles. I like him a lot. I mean, he's a little much. He can get a little feisty, so maybe just, you know, like this. And... Well, you know, I really like Phoebe, but she might not be your type. She's not my personality, but some people might like to listen to her. Like, there are no qualifications here in the way that he describes them. It is full commending, full endorsing. And as a leader of ministry, this was really convicting to me. <laughs> Actually, okay, let's not even start with as a leader in ministry. As a woman... <laughs> trying to be friends with other women, this was really convicting to me, right? Like, if you sit for a second and think, try to think of 30 people in your life, 30 friends of yours, and how far do you get down that list before you go, well, I mean, I like this about her, but this can kind of get on my nerves. I can spend like a couple days with her, but then I need a little space. I, you know, like I might... I, this person might like her, but this person definitely wouldn't. You know, like, oh, no, seriously, I love her. I totally love her. You know, there's just this thing. I mean, I really love her, but you know, really, like, how far can you get down your list of people that you do life with before you would start in your brain to make those little qualifications about the distinctions and the differences and fully endorsing somebody. It's a big deal that he does this, and I don't want us to miss that. And then, thinking about it in terms of ministry, I do this all the time. You guys, like, this was so at the forefront of my mind because we just had the freedom movement. Okay, you guys, Carrie's a lot. Like, those of you, they, she called herself a lot, right? She's extra. When I was down in Costa Mesa, kind of previewing the event, I was nervous. Like, I'm just going to be totally real with you guys. I was like, I don't really know if she's our type. Like, I don't know if people are going to get it. There's a little, you know, even within the night, the differences in personalities, I'm like, oh, some people will like her. Some people will like her. I can think of the women in my mind that are going to just be cringing in their skin at this cheesy game that we start out with. If the game was your favorite part, you're proving my point. Because some people, it was so not the favorite part, you know? Like, or the dancing and getting started. Like, there is such a wide variety of style and type and ways that speak to us and things. And we do that in ministry. We tend to, like, think that the most valid way, the most effective way, the way we should endorse is the one that's, like, us, right? <laughs> the style that's our style that speaks to us. And we forget that there's this whole body of people that are moved and touched and reached by different styles. But we feel like it's somehow our job to like safeguard and protect and endorse only the ones, you know, and we think through like, how many times have you thought through, um, well, I don't know if I want to bring my friend 
because I don't know who's going to be teaching, and I don't know if it's going to be this person, then their personality might rub them the wrong way. We really try to control it, right? We get really careful thinking that God can't move and God can't work unless we've really perfectly, carefully endorsed the strategic right thing for the friend that we know. And we even do that with ourselves and who we will let lead us and who we will let influence us. I, um, I am a reader, and I have learned about myself that in my younger years, I was kind of like an all-in reader. Like I'd read a book, and I'd be like, it's gold. Whatever they say, I was like very influenced, very heavily influenced. Um, and I've learned how to read a little bit more nuanced and be like, okay, I can take this. This makes sense to me. Uh, that doesn't really relate. But I still have this like innate need to know where this person is going and if I agree with them before I can read their process and their thoughts. Does that make sense? I feel like we're always doing that with everything. I want to know if I fully endorse you or actually probably nothing good can come from you <laughs> or something like that, right? I'm just being totally raw and real with you guys. Maybe I'm super judgmental. But this was really convicting to me because Paul doesn't do any of that. And I don't think that the point here is that, whoa, he had like this all-star list of people that had absolutely nothing to complain about in them. No. I think these people, these 30-plus people and families are exactly like the people in your brain. They are exactly nuanced. They are strong in some ways. They are weak in some ways. They have... Yeah, I don't know if this is going to mesh with everybody. They're all they're very real flesh and blood people. Of course they have things that would rub some people the wrong way or would, you know, like hot tempers or different things like that. They're real. And I don't think the point is that they were these super saints. I think the beautiful message here and what Paul is doing is being like that is not the point. That is not what is going to keep me from calling them my co-laborer in Christ and fully endorsing you and charging you, Romans, to invite them in, to learn from them, to be filled out in the fullness of the body of Christ in this way. Like that, We cannot miss that. I was just so struck by it that I barely could move on. <laughs> That's like I was like, and done. That's the only point I want to have for us this morning. Um, so how can we be challenged by Paul's example here in what he does in listing out all of these people? I think that we let personality hinder us from being all in and cheering for each other. We let those differences in whether somebody is our type of personality, we let it hinder us from cheering and being fully supportive of other people. Um, someone doesn't have to be an exact match to everything that you love and every way that you learn in order to be exactly who God might want you to partner with, who he might want you to learn from and to do life with. I feel like um, in a small way, I am getting to watch my daughter learn this as she's in those like early teenage years and friendships are getting a little bit more developed and involved and fun. I, it has been really fun to have conversations with her where I get to be like, oh yeah, well that might be this kind of friend for you. And this kind of friend might be this kind of space for you. You can have, you can love different things about your different friends and you don't have to love everything about each one of them for them to be 
a super valuable and important friend in your life. You know, they don't have to meet every need of yours. This is a friend you can be sensitive with, and this is a friend that you can be silly with, and this is a friend who's gonna challenge you, and this is a friend that you're gonna lead. You know, like that is the beautiful body of different people, and I think it's easy for me to see how to lead her in that direction in her youth when we're just talking friendships, but it's the same message that carries into how we work together as a church and as a body. So we can be challenged that way. And then um, I think we can be challenged in realizing that I think we let preference hinder us also from being all in preference and perspective. Um, and I think this is a lot of what uh, maybe we've been talking about as Creekside. Uh, I feel like we live in such a culture right now, especially sometimes, especially in the church, of being really fearful and afraid of fully endorsing almost anybody <laughs> because of what, because we have this like string them up kind of quick response, especially because of social media where we, um, and like this stone throwing culture right now where we want to distance ourselves from anybody who might um, end up associating us with wrong theology, some like, Heretic, but Jesus was called a heretic. Jesus was called blasphemous because of the people that he hung out with, the people that he said, I fully love them and will be seen with them. And um, anyway, someone doesn't have to agree with each and every detail and nuance. That's what this whole letter of Romans is about, right? Like chapter 14 that we read a couple weeks ago where he's like, some are, some are going to eat and some are not going to eat and some are going to observe this day and some are not going to observe this day and some are going to be circumcised and some are not going to be circumcised. That is the literal whole letter of the Romans. And he's saying, get along. The kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking. The preferences do not separate us. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Don't get sidetracked by the little things. And I feel like that's a huge challenge for us. And I feel like he's modeling it by listing out all of these people that there is just no way that they were all exactly the same in every little detail and nuance. We know they weren't because if you read about their history, they're Jews and they're Greeks and they're slaves and they're free and they're men and they're women. Um, so speaking of being sidetracked, he goes on then in verse 17, and this is where I will start reading to you because it's words I know. <laughs> um, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I always read this, like 38 years old, I always read this as false teachers teaching false doctrine. I do not know why, but that has always been the lens, but that is not what he is talking about. He is literally telling them to watch out for people who cause divisions and create obstacles, like get in the way of people accessing the gospel. That's what he's talking about. That's who he's warning them about. He says, those people do not serve our Lord Christ. 
they're not on the same mission. They're dividing. If they're creating an obstacle and making it hard for someone to access the gospel because of all these things he's been talking about for 15 chapters, eating, drinking, observing, not observing, circumcision, not circumcision, tradition, then they're not working for the mission of the Christ. Um, I have this quote for you guys by Richard Rohr, and he says, it's important to note, I wanted to put it up on a slide, um, it's important to note that Jesus and Christ are two different faith affirmations. Hardly any Christians have been taught that. They think, subconsciously, Christ is Jesus' last name. We know that, right? We know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> okay. I bring this up for an important reason because he is saying who serves the Lord Christ. When people say that Jesus is the Christ, they are saying that Jesus came in flesh as um, Christ, who was always the eternal and constant expression of God that was there since the beginning, that has been being revealed since the beginning, that was the spoken word into creation that created all of this as it should be. You remember when Paul is talking at the beginning of Romans about how um, how everything was intended to be and how really it's the like the um, sin entered in the world and the wrath and destruction was now kind of destroying and it was this rippling effect and unfolding and the breaking of what was intended. But now the gospel and the power of the gospel is coming now as a redemptive force. That is the Christ, the redemptive work of God to restore things back to how they should be. And so when we, this is important, because when we say that Christ is our Lord, we are saying that mission is my mission. That is what I am about. If Jesus Christ, the redemptive work and expression of God throughout all of creation and humanity and personified in Jesus, that if that is my Lord, then that is my boss, my ruler. What he is about, I am about. What he is working towards, I am working towards. And so he's saying these people who cause divisions and create obstacles, they are not working for the Lord Christ. So that's a big deal, and I don't want to miss that. Um, I'm going to move my Bible here. Okay, so then he goes on in verse 19 to say to them, to encourage them, he says, your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I think that's another kind of proof that this is not what he was talking about before. It's like a side note. He's like, no, I get it. Your obedience, it's awesome. I am glad that you guys are obedient. I am glad that you care about what is right, that you are being careful to keep yourselves pure and to honor God with the way that you live. I'm glad about it. It's just not what I was talking about. It's not the point. I'm rejoicing over that, but I feel like it's another way of saying when he says, I want you to be wise about what is good and then innocent about what is evil, I feel like it's another way of saying, can we focus on what is good? Can we be about the mission, about what is right and what I am calling you to? And like, 
innocent about. Like, don't focus on, don't look at, stop getting so caught up in what is evil and what is wrong and being so obsessed about that being what you need to like figure out. I feel like this with my kids sometimes where they are just so intent on getting each other in trouble. Like, so intent on getting each other in trouble. They took way too many goldfish. They're adding cereal on the couch. And I'm like, it was quiet for five minutes. Just don't tell me. I don't even care that they were eating cereal on the couch. If you just get along and be on the same team, I actually maybe don't even care. Seriously, right? Like, I feel like that might be a little bit like God up there. And I, of course, I'm getting loose and a little bit slang in my examples. So. There is reverence. Um, but I feel like he might be like, really, guys? Like, I don't care if you eat or don't eat. I don't care if you're circumcised or not circumcised. Can you get along? Can you focus on what is right and good and what the mission is, what the call is? This is important stuff. And you're getting so sidetracked by who's doing it exactly right and who's not. And you're trying to get other people in trouble. Um, this sounds a lot, again, like his letter, how he ends his letter to a lot of the other churches that he writes to as well. And I just wanted to read you Philippians um, 4-2 side by side because <clears throat> I just think when we see all the letters stacked up together, we can even see a larger picture of Paul's goal and his theme. So Philippians 4-2 says, I entreat Euodia, I don't know, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I'm calling them, I'm entreating them to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Then he says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all of this nonsense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You're going to be okay. Don't be all fretting about all of this. Just pray. And God will guard your hearts and minds because he's the God of peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, focus on these things, right? Like we put it above our TV, like don't watch bad things, watch good things, but this is so much bigger than that. He's saying don't get sidetracked. Find what is good and praiseworthy and commendable and notable about each other and focus on it, and join together in it. Let it make you a team. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and he says, the God of peace will be with you. Isn't it interesting that he ends both of these letters focusing on the God of peace? Romans 16.20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This peace... I thought Jackson, I don't know how many of you were here on Sunday two weeks ago, but Jackson did an amazing job talking about what peace really is. Peace is not just the absence of fighting. That's what my kids think. I want peace like the Hebrew word peace, shalom, 
which translates to forceful goodness. Like if you picture it like a wave, it is coming in and forcing goodness, forcing relational wholeness into a situation. That's peace. It's active. It's powerful. It moves and it brings goodness and wholeness and right relationship wherever it goes. That God of that kind of peace is who Paul is calling them to follow. Um, Ryan was just talking this Sunday about the rippling effect of the redemptive work of Christ. So there was the first Adam, and as sin entered the world, there was this rippling effect of brokenness that occurred in all relationships, and it was just like forceful breaking, <laughs> forceful death, forceful unearthing of everything that was right and whole and peaceful. But through the second Adam, through Jesus, the Christ, there is now this rippling effect of forceful goodness coming in through the world. And everyone who joins the kingdom of heaven, everyone who calls Jesus their Lord and Christ, joins in that wave. It's like those movies, you know, like the end of days movies where there's like the huge tsunamis and you see it just like flooding over, but not in destruction, in wholeness. It's coming. I watched like a hundred million time-lapse videos of winter turning into spring and I wanted to show you one. It was going to be all beautiful and emotional and I didn't get it done. So picture it in your head, go home and watch some YouTube videos of time-lapse turning into spring, it's beautiful. We see it in the seasons. We have a like tangible creation reminder of the redemptive work of Christ sweeping over all of creation and humanity every springtime. As you watch things that were dead in the ground come and rise up with like a force and a power and bring beauty to our creation outside. And we are called as the kingdom of God, as the co-laborers of God to be like that springtime <laughs> that enters into every situation like a flower and blooms up and like bursts life and wholeness and peace wherever we are. That is like such a beautiful picture and it is a high calling. That is a high calling to join that kind of, I think Ryan said, I wrote it down really quick on Sunday morning. He said like, join the counterinsurgents. Like, join the insurgents that of the kingdom of God that is like coming into this world with this forceful goodness, with this shalom that we are bringing to restore. Um, I think that answers our question of how Paul can list 30 people and not be sidetracked by petty little details. Because when you have a high calling, when you have a high mission, when there is something larger to lift your eyes and be about, all of the other stuff falls away, right? I can tell you when my kids fight the most. Do you want to know what it is? Nobody has a guess who has a million kids? When they're, when they're bored. When they're, yes, when they're tired, for sure. When they're tired, that's true. But that doesn't fit with my analogy as much. So we're going to go with bored. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Right, though? When they are bored, they are going to pick at each other for every little thing. Which is why I'm like, oh, you're bored? You want a chore? Okay. <laughs> we'll put you to work. You clearly don't have enough to do. Whenever there is an actual saying amongst the church leaders 
that when, you, when your church is nitpicking, you know they've lost sight of the mission. When they start fighting over and dividing over little doctrine and little things like, oh, I don't really like the child care, or I don't really like the way they serve coffee here, or the sound is too loud, or the aesthetics are not to my liking, they're bored. They have lost the high calling of the church. There's nothing like, it's like morbid to think about, but like you think about the times of great crisis, right? Like 9-11, and that's when you see people come together around a high calling. And all of a sudden, the little things don't matter, right? You watch the movies, and there's like a rift in the family, and then there's a death, and all of a sudden, everybody comes together because there's something bigger that makes you go, oh yeah, that was petty. That didn't matter. Um, I was thinking about this, and uh, honestly, I think... Um, I don't even know. Maybe I'll regret sharing this analogy because I'll just sound crazy. But uh, 2009 was a really rough time in my marriage. Ryan and I were not doing well. And honestly, it was just because I was a little immature and bored and selfish. And I was just getting increasingly selfish because they're just, I don't know, I had these little kids and we were just, it was rough. It was a rocky time in our marriage and I was behaving really irresponsibly and bratty and not really trying um, very hard. <laughs> I don't know why I'm sharing this all with you. But um, I was just unhappy and there wasn't a whole lot that I knew I was doing except taking care of these two little kids and it had kind of unearthed my purposelessness in life. And so I started to kind of try to find it in other things. And then 2009 was a year of some pretty severe crisis in our lives too. Like, well, crisis is really dramatic looking back, but for then, and for who I was at 20, I don't know, eight, um, it was the hardest thing that I'd ever been through. We had our twins, and Creekside went through a really big um, loss of our senior pastor, and Ryan came in as the interim, and we almost lost the building, and we almost lost our church, and it was a really significant time in the history of Creekside. It was...
Anyway, is it, is it is that gone? Oh, hello. Um, we don't die. So, I know, I'm taking way too long. You guys, it's so ridiculous. Okay, so we crashed down, and it was like we knew, like, all right, as soon as we impact, we're going to, like, go down. We need to unbuckle. We need to get back. You're going to get the two on this side. I'm going to get the two kids on this side, and we're going to, like, bust through the car and get up to the top. It's totally, like, Titanic now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, it was this very, like, symbolic, significant, like, turning point for me in our relationship where it was, like, none of this other stuff that I had been letting totally derail our marriage mattered. It was like, you matter, the kids matter, living matters, <laughs> we got to get through this. And it just changed everything because we focused on the common mission and we let everything else kind of fall to the wayside. I don't know if that was completely unnecessary to tell you or not, but I went with it. So wrapping up our year, what if we as nurture as women, as Creeksiders, what if we were so focused on the common mission that we were commending each other, that we were cheering for each other, that we saw you working over there and I don't see you all summer long, but I know you're doing something important over there and I'm doing something important over here and we come back in the fall and we refuse to divide over petty things and we refuse to get our feelings hurt because, oh, that person doesn't give me as much attention as I wanted or that person you know, said this thing and I'm wondering if she meant it the wrong way and so I'm just not gonna talk to her and let it get awkward. Like, What if there was a higher calling and a higher mission of forceful goodness into our community here, into our communities out there, and that we knew that we were part of the counterinsurgents of this team, that this matters. What we're doing matters as we bring shalom into the world around us. What if Creekside was a church like that? That that was our mission? That's my prayer for our group. That's my prayer as you go away for the summer, as you come back, hopefully, and join us again in the fall as we're here as a body of Creekside and in our gospel communities, as we go out to the places that God has sent us, that we would know, oh, we are absolutely united. We are absolutely commending each other and sending each other and encouraging each other to be led and learning from each other. Um, I'm gonna let you guys go into a little bit of group time for about 15, 20 minutes, and then uh, we're gonna come back up here We've got like one more thing and then I want us to circle up and end our year together like we did at the middle of the semester. We're gonna circle up in here and grab hands and just sing a little hymn on our way out. I will not sing for you. Jill Marin will lead us in that. Just wanna be clear. All right, thanks guys.